0: Well, glory, good to see you this evening. Acts chapter 20. Thank you, Nicole, for a wonderful time of worship, as always. We are studying the book of Acts on Wednesday night, Christ's vision for his church. He said he would build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so in the book of Acts, we have sort of what Christ wants to see in his people, in his church, as they take the gospel to the world and as they make disciples of all nations. So when we come to Acts chapter 20, there's so much in here, but God impressed upon me to look at eight different things that are sort of characteristics of of Paul and his missionary team. And there are things that you and I can apply again to our own life to be the people of God that God desires us to be. I want to break down this chapter into two different sections. First of all, verses 1 through 12, and then verse 13 through the rest of the chapter. And in the first 12 verses, what's very interesting is in verse 1 and in verse 12, you have a a term that really brackets the first section. And it's a term that describes the first characteristic, and that is a spirit-like ministry. God wants to see a spirit-like ministry in his church. Let me explain. In Acts 20, verse 1, it talks about Paul greatly encouraging the disciples. Then if you go over to verse 12 it talks about them being greatly comforted. It's actually the same Greek word, just translated a little bit differently, but that's because it is such a rich word that it has different nuances to it. Then you'll notice in verse 2 that it talks about how Paul spoke many words of encouragement to the believers there as he was passing through these different regions on his way to Troas. Why do I say this describes a spirit-like ministry? Because the word encouraged and the word comforted in verse 12 is the Greek word parakletos, where we get the word or term paraklete from, which is exactly what Jesus described the Holy Spirit as. He is the one who would come and be another comforter, another helper, the paraklete. And you'll notice here in this passage of Scripture, that Paul is taking on, in a sense, the Spirit's ministry. That wherever Paul and his team goes, what are they doing? They are coming alongside the church. They are encouraging people. They are strengthening people. They are helping people. They are comforting people. You see, when you and I allow the Spirit of God to fill us, to control us, to be in charge, our life will take on the characteristic of the Spirit. If the Spirit was sent to comfort, to encourage, to strengthen, to support, then that's exactly what our life will be like as we move through our day as God's people. We will be encouragers. We will be supporters. We will be helpers. We will be comforters when those opportunities present themselves. You and I need to seek to encourage others, and we need to allow others to encourage others us as well. And as I've said to you before, I have never met a human being yet who told me, Jeff, I don't need any more encouragement for the rest of my life. I'm good to go. I don't know any human being like that. All of us benefit from being encouraged. And God is the great encourager. No one is a greater encourager and comforter and strengthener And supporter and helper than the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. But when we allow the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of us to basically take control, one of the things that will happen is we will have a spirit-like ministry like Paul. Second, sort of going along with that, if you go down to verse 4, you'll see that Paul was accompanied by several people here on this journey. In fact, all of verse 4 is listing the names of all of those who accompanied Paul. And so not only does God want us to have a spirit-like ministry, but the next sort of, if we're alliterating, the next S word would be a supported ministry, support. Because notice, even the great apostle Paul was never without his support. He always had those around him. Now obviously, more and more, as the circle goes outward, you and I have those few people around us right within our ranks, and then as it goes outward, we can have more and more people, but the idea is none of us should ever seek to live our lives and minister and serve the Lord without support. God calls us to support one another, and everywhere that Paul went, he had those who were, again, what were they doing? Coming alongside of him supporting him, praying for him, helping him in any way they could. And Paul was doing the same thing to them. See, God wants to see his people not only have a spirit-like ministry, but support one another in our ministry. Is there someone right now that God wants you to support? Or maybe God wants someone to support you in the ministry that God's called you to. But none of us should ever feel like we're out there all alone, all by ourselves, sort of trudging away at life and ministry. God calls people to come alongside of us, paraklesis, to be a paraclete, and to literally walk beside of us, not only to encourage and to help and to comfort, and, but also to support, to accompany us, to, to have a traveling companion, if you will, in life and ministry. Because that's what these folks were. Whether it was Trophimus or Tychicus or Sopater or any of the others that are mentioned there, even Luke himself is mentioned later on when he changes from they to we or to us. Luke was also there, which is one of the reasons why Luke knew exactly what was going on, because Dr. Luke accompanied Paul on many of his journeys. So, Christ's vision for his church is not only to have a spirit-like ministry in our lives and a support of a ministry. Then if you go down to verse 7, think of the word here, Sunday. Because this is the first actually direct reference in the book of Acts to the first day of the week. Notice when they got to Troas and they found disciples, it was upon the first day of the week, Sunday, Sunday. And that they were gathering together, and oh, by the way, just like the Oasis, they were breaking some bread. They weren't just getting together for worship and prayer and teaching of the Word. They were getting together and they were breaking bread. That was part of their gathering. What I want us to see, again, going back to what I said at the beginning today, before we even had our time of worship, is that you can trace the gathering together of Christians all the way back. To the very first century. And they not only did it on Sunday, they did it throughout the week, but they especially made a point to get together on the first day of the week, the day Jesus rose from the dead, the day to commemorate his resurrection, the day to celebrate his resurrection, but also the time for God's people to come out of their separate, individual, private homes and to come together as a gathering of God's people and do exactly what we're doing here tonight upon the first day of the week. By the way, this was something that, though nowadays we feel like we have to teach people to do or encourage Christians to do, back then, they just did it. And and there was sort of a self-motivation of, we need to gather together. We we can't do this apart from each other. We gotta come together. We gotta break bread together. We gotta worship together. We gotta be in the word together. We gotta pray together. That was just sort of what they did. That was in their DNA. And today, sad to say, it's not just automatically there. It's something that, that we sometimes as churches and as leaders and even as fellow Christians have to really encourage our people and try to stir them to get to that point but it's so important that we not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Hebrews 10, 25, upon the first day of the week. By the way, the early church had this down. And I'll say it this way, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more even on Sunday, I think. They had the one and seven down. What do I mean by that? Well, if they weren't going to necessarily keep the Sabbath anymore, they were going to set aside one in seven as sort of the day of rest and a day to devote to God. And we again, in our society today, even as Christians, we've lost that. We don't even do one in seven. We're we're out there seven days a week, 365 days a year. We just never stop. And God set it up from the very beginning of his creation that you can't continue to run seven out of seven. You have got to set aside one in seven. And if you do that, then you will be in a place spiritually, emotionally, and physically where the other six days, you can do a much better job in those six by setting aside one and seven for me so sunday the next thing that we see is in verse nine and verse 11 i know i'm going to skip around here but i'm going to come back to this great event of paul raising this young man from the dead yes he raises this young man from the dead who by the way falls out of a three-story window because he fell asleep while paul was preaching But the poor guy, Paul had been preaching for hours and hours and the Bible tells us it was late at night and the Bible tells us there was many lamps in the room and it was probably giving off some gas and the poor guy was just tired, can't fault him for that. But before we get to that, notice it says in verse 9 that Paul spoke for a long time. We preachers like to emphasize that, right? Right? And then over in verse 11, after, they ra- after Paul raised him from the dead, guess what he did? he came come back and talked to them for another long time until dawn. Here's what I want you to see, though. I want you to see those two phrases in verse 9 and verse 11, a long time. Why is that important? Why is that part of Christ's vision? Because it reminds us that God wants his people to have a settling, staying attitude with him. You see, unlike us, God doesn't rush. Spiritual growth cannot be rushed. What God may want to do in our lives cannot be rushed. And too often, again, unlike the way they were back then, even when we do come together, it's like we're looking at our watches and we can't wait to get to the next thing instead of staying in the moment and settling before God. In fact, that's one of the things that Nicole and I have talked about that we really want to try to continue to encourage in our church is that even during our worship time, just as she was doing tonight, that we'd not be afraid to just stay in the moment and just keep meeting with God instead of moving on to the next thing. But you see, even in a church like ours, sometimes there's the mentality of let's get through worship and get to the word. Or let's get through the word and let's get out of here because I got to go to lunch or I got this or I got that. And it's like we try to put God on our timetable. And you'll notice here in this part, Paul's not on anybody's timetable but God's. He knows that God wants to do something significant. And when God wants to do something significant, guess what? It takes time. If God wants to grow a bush, yeah, it might only take a couple weeks, but if God wants to grow a solid oak tree, it takes 100 years to put those roots down deep and to make it strong so that when the winds of adversity blow, that tree stands. It's been established. It's got a firmness to it. It's got a steadiness and stability to it. And that's what we want to see in our lives and in the life of our church. When God wants to do something, he cannot be rushed, nor should he be. And why do we want to rush through our time with God? Paul spoke a long time. A long time. I think sometimes, very honestly, we don't want to slow down. Because slowing down sometimes can be uncomfortable even to be quiet enough before God and still enough before God because we don't like the silence. We don't like the quiet. We, we just want to keep on going and keep on moving because then we don't have to like, you know, it's almost like we like the noise. And that's why I think, honestly, Sundays and Wednesdays are so precious to all of us because it might be the only time during the week that for many of you, you've actually had time to just quiet your minds and quiet your hearts like this before God. And truly experience him and engage him. And that's what I love about this passage where it says, Paul spoke for a long time. And then like I said, you would think, oh my goodness, someone died the first time I spoke for a long time. So now I'm gonna cut it really short, right? No, after he raised the poor guy from the dead Eutychus, he talks for a long time until dawn too. Because again, Paul was all about God and his people meeting and not rushing through it. So there was a settling, there was a staying there. The next thing, though, that we see, obviously, in the midst of all this, S-word, supernatural. God wants to see his people involved with a supernatural ministry, that supernatural things are happening. Now, it might not be that God, you know, wants to see us raise a dead person and something like that, but how can you and I have the living god of the universe inside of us the holy spirit who's a supernatural being who gives us his supernatural power and resources and not expect or anticipate to see something supernatural happen you see i believe that one of the reasons why the supernatural happened was because the early church actually anticipated and expected it to happen they were looking for it to happen because they were in touch with the supernatural god why can't it happen And they had the faith to believe that God could do. Because with God, all things are possible. And we need to recapture that in the church today. And not even for the big things like, you know, healings and, and all of that, but just to see God's supernatural power manifested in our life, to do things maybe through our day that we could never do without him. In fact, I'll just share with you me standing up here doing this right now, if it's making any sense to you all right now, it's a miracle from God after the day I've had. (laughs) Because humanly speaking, my mind was like a bunch of scrambled eggs before I got up here. Okay? Totally God if you're getting anything out of this message tonight. Supernatural. So notice what happens. This poor young man named Eutychus, it says he's been sitting there so long, he's on the third a story: He falls out of the window, and basically it says in verse 9, they pick him up dead. He's dead. And Paul feels so bad, he throws himself on him, and basically through Paul, God raises this young man from the dead. And I love this contrast. It says in verse 9, they picked him up dead, but then in verse 12, notice the phrase, they took him home alive. I love that. He was dead, now he's alive. That's supernatural, folks. That's our God. In fact, that's a beautiful picture of all of our lives. We were dead in our sins, and God made us alive in Christ Jesus. And God not only wants to do those supernatural things spiritually in our lives, he wants to do those supernatural things emotionally and physically. Because again, it's all tied together. Our spirit, our emotions, our our, our physical bodies, they're, they're all tied together. What affects one affects the other. And God wants to work on it all. And God wants to, to gather a group of people even in a church like ours who truly believe in a supernatural God and He can still do supernatural things. Do you believe that tonight? So we have a spirit-like ministry, a supported ministry, a Sunday ministry, a settling-staying ministry, a supernatural ministry. Now if you go over to verse 19, because from really verse 13 down through verse 18, it's just accounting for as Paul's travels, as he travels now from Troas down to a place called Miletus in Greece where he's going to call for the Ephesian elders to come and meet him there because he wants to share with them because we're going to see here in just a moment, through probably the Holy Spirit, he realizes he's never going to see these people again. So I want you to see three things tonight in this passage of scripture that, again, to me, is Christ's vision for his people and for his church. The first thing, S word, sacrificial. Paul's ministry was sacrificial. Notice he says in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with what? Tears. Tears. I want you to mark that because if you go over to verse 31, notice what else he says. I did not cease to warn them with tears. Verse 31. And then you have this beautiful picture of these fellow Christians who loved each other so much, there was such a bond of affection that they basically go out to the pier where Paul's going to set out and sail for Jerusalem. And the Bible says when they come together, Paul basically told them, this is the last time I'm going to see you on this side of glory, on this side of heaven. And the Bible says that they began to hug each other and kiss each other and weep loudly. Why was Paul weeping when he was ministering to them? Why were they weeping here? Because of the sacrifice and the investment and the cost that he made and they made in each other's lives, that's why. Notice he says in verse 20 and in 27, I held nothing back. Both times that phrase is used in verse 20 and 27. I held nothing back from you. You see, Paul spent himself spiritually, emotionally, and physically investing in these people. Sacrifice. It cost him something. Ministry will. If you and I are going to minister to others as the Lord ministered to us, then it's going to cost us something. There's going to be sacrifice involved. And I can only think about what David says when he says, I won't offer to the Lord anything that won't cost me something, that I won't have to sacrifice for when he was buying the threshing floor back there in Samuel. Sacrifice. What is it that we really sacrifice? What really costs us in our life and ministry and service to others? For Paul, he gave it all. You know, so often today, again, our idea of service is church sets up a time. I show up for a couple hours. I do my thing, but it meets with my schedule. It's very convenient. It's something I like to do. You know, I don't really put myself out there, and we're just so gung-ho about I'm I'm serving the Lord and I'm not discounting that I'm not saying that's wrong but I'm saying what is it that we really do where we're shedding tears over it where literally it's blood sweat and tears where we're giving of our heart that we're giving of everything that we've got and 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 listen folks I get it when we put ourselves out there like that A lot of times we don't get much back and it it can be hard and it can be lonely and it can be painful and all of that. But to me, that's just following the way the Lord gave. He gave everything. He continues to give everything to us. He holds nothing good back from us regardless of whether we appreciate it or are thankful for it or not. He's all in with us and he calls us to be all in in our life and ministry to others. Sacrifice sacrifice the next thing you see here is not spirit like ministry but spirit led ministry notice in verse 22 paul says i was compelled by the spirit and then in verse 23 he says this holy spirit now warns me about what i'm going to face when i get to jerusalem You see, Paul allowed the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to him all the time and to guide and to direct his steps as he went on his journey through life. He was always listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. And notice something else very interesting here. I think this is important for us as Christians. Notice in verse 23 when it says, the Holy Spirit warned me. That many times the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life will not necessarily prevent us from going through something, but will prepare us for what's ahead. It's exactly what he did with Paul. How many of you have ever had that happen to you in your life? Yeah. Where you almost knew that God was preparing you for what was coming, even though it hadn't come yet. And it wasn't maybe going to be something easy. And that certainly was true with Paul because it talks about all the the suffering and stuff that Paul was going to go through when he went to Jerusalem. We're going to talk more about that next week. But don't forget that. Sometimes, again, we want God to either help us to avoid something or to go around it or whatever. And most of the time, as I've said before, God wants us to learn to be a through people. To not go around things, but to learn through him to go through things, even hard things, because that's how we grow, and that's how our faith is increased and strengthened. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. They didn't go around the Red Sea. They went through the Red Sea. They didn't go around the Jordan River. They went through it. Throughout the Bible, you see God's people Almost all the time going through things. They didn't go uh, around the fire in Daniel. They literally, he was in the fire with them and they went through the fire. And so here again, you have that picture of the Holy Spirit warns him Paul, I'm not going to prevent the hard things that are coming, but I am preparing you for them. Preparation. That's huge. And obviously then the Holy Spirit then, though through all those things, would let's go back to the beginning, would be the encourager, the supporter, the helper, the comforter, the one who would come alongside, literally put his arm around Paul and say, we're going through this together. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit, that's why God plants the Holy Spirit inside of us. So that there's never a time, no matter what we go through, that we're going through anything alone. Because we're carrying God with us everywhere we go. So they're sacrificed, they're spirit-led. And then notice the last one, selfless. Verse 24 may be one of the most powerful verses in the entire New Testament, maybe even the Bible. And Paul says this. He says, For I do not consider my life to be of any value to myself, so that I may finish the task and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. I do not consider my life to be worth anything to myself. Now, here is not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying, I don't value my life. That's not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is that the greatest way I can put value on my life is by living for Christ. If I want to truly live to the highest call to place value on my existence on this earth, then Paul says, I need to live for Christ and follow his will for my life. There can be no greater value that a human being places on their own life than to do what Paul did and follow in his steps. And that's why Paul was willing to even die if it meant bringing glory to God. For Paul said to the Philippians for me to live as Christ to die as gain Philippians 1:21. Paul wasn't afraid to die if that's what God's will was for his life Paul was simply saying I am so absorbed and consumed by my love for Jesus Christ that whatever Jesus has for me I'm good I'm good that's selfless that I'm crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. Crucified. That was Paul, selfless. It's not about me, Paul said. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. Wow. Because notice something. Notice the purpose statement. Paul says it's got to be that way or else I will not finish my task and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. You know what Paul's saying there? This is pretty sobering and pretty humbling and pretty convicting and pretty challenging. Paul's saying there's only one person that can prevent God's will from being accomplished in his life. And it wasn't anybody else, it was him. And the same thing is true for us the only person that can stop the accomplishment of God's will in our life isn't to point the fingers or blame anybody else. We're the only ones that's going to put the brakes on that. We're the only one because we let self get in the way. Where we start considering self more than we do Christ. And Paul said, I can't, I can't go that way or I'll never... If I start thinking of self, then guess what's going to kick in? Self-preservation. I'm taking the easy road. This is too hard. This is too demanding. This is, you know, way... I'm, I'm going to go back to Tarsus where I'm from and I'm going to sit in my lazy boy and I'm going to kick up my feet and I'm going to take it easy for the rest of my life. I'm not going to Jerusalem. Why would I want to go to Jerusalem? It's hard in Jerusalem. It's difficult in Jerusalem. I'm going to face rejection in Jerusalem. I may even die in Jerusalem. Why would I want to go there? Because that's where God wants him to go. Because that's where God wants him to go. Selfless. These are the characteristics of a life that truly is being shaped by God. These are the characteristics of a church that is truly being shaped by God. May we allow God to engrave these principles into our minds and our hearts. And before I close in prayer let me just encourage each of us don't rush the Lord. (laughs) Don't rush His work in your life. Things that are most worthwhile take a long time. So the next time you're in worship the next time you're in prayer the next time you're in your word don't Don't just rush through it. In fact, I've said this before, I, I would rather a Christian just take a verse a day and just think about that verse and meditate on that verse and immerse themselves in that one verse and go out of their house that morning as they're on their way to work knowing that that verse is in their head and in their heart and that it's, it's going to change them than to read three chapters and not have any clue about what they just read when they leave. Stay in the moment. Stay with God. Let God do what God wants to do. And don't try to put God on our timetable. Let God be God. Let Him take the time that He wants to take. Let's pray. God, thank you for being so gracious. Lord, I know that tonight I just felt very ill-equipped to be here before your people and to speak your message, but God, I know that it was not only being here with my brothers and sisters for a while before we started, but it was that time of worship that we had that Really helped breathe some of your life into my spirit. Where just settling down with you for a little bit just infused your energy, where that time helped to unscramble some things that were scrambled. And God, I just say that to my dear brothers and sisters because maybe sometimes that's the way they feel. Whether it's at the end of the day, the beginning of the day, the end of a week, the beginning of the week, whatever, that man, sometimes life, there's just so much to think about and so much to do. But God, there's something precious about when we just choose to just spend some time with you and not rush through it to just be like Paul and just settle in and stay there for just a moment. And it, it doesn't have to be an all-night experience if that's not what you want. But it can just be even the attitude of our heart that, God, we're not telling you that we're trying to put you on our timetable, but, Lord, we're just going to sit here and stay with you until we feel that it's time for us to leave or time for us to get up. God, I pray that that would be more the case and especially in our culture that is so busy and that rushes through life, we're not in the moment very much. We're always thinking about what's that next thing on our schedule. And I pray, God, that we would never be that way with you because the most important thing we could ever do on this earth is to fellowship with our, our Savior, our Creator, to spend time in your presence. David writes in the Psalms, God, when I learned to be in your presence, I realized your presence was all that I needed. And God, we have have been in your presence tonight. And because of that, Lord, I know that I'm going to walk out of these doors different than the way I walked in. And I thank you for that. I pray, God, that all of us would just desire to be in your presence more and more and allow your Holy Spirit to shape our hearts and minds so that, God, we can be like the church of Acts and turn this world upside down for Christ. God, take us home safely. Help us to get through the responsibilities of the rest of this week and God, we pray that you would even now begin to create an anticipation and expectation of coming back together again on Sunday because we can't wait to see, God, what you're going to do. We can't wait to meet with you and our brothers and sisters in Christ and to just see, God, how you're going to move and how you're going to work and what it's going to be like to experience your presence again in this auditorium once again on Sunday. So God, give us a good couple of days. Help us to be a blessing to others, an encouragement to others before we meet together again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.